Well, this season has certainly been one to forget, for some at least. Let's get started. Seven-time champion of the world. Do you know what? I haven't what? spoken to you all since last year. Oh, <laughs> I haven't showered since. No, actually, I have. I showered. Well. <laughs> 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 oh dear! I'm already sick of the joke. That would be slightly concerning. <laughs> I, I'm already. Sick. It's only the fourth. Some people don't shower for that long. <laughs> do, do, do they? Mm. <laughs> we record on the fourth, friends. I'm sorry. I, are we pretending it's Friday? That would be a bit gross. I, I think yeah. I, don't, I think they know that we don't uh, upload it. Like, we don't record like seven in the morning, so I can get I it out by uh, spoilers by alert, guys. Nine a.m. <laughs> spoiler. <laughs> anyway, yes. So last episode we were talking about the very best drivers and indeed constructors from last season. Now we're flipping it over, going to the very worst, and the same procedure as last time. We have a group chat on Facebook for those who care, and we go and bagsy the worst driver, we think, and the worst team. Uh, unfortunately, I came last and forgot to check the chat, so I'm uh, feeding our scrap, shall we say, but we'll save the answers and who we think uh, fits those two categories for when people roll around. So, um, yes, ladies first, Liv, who do we think? Oh, hello. This is a nice surprise. All you listeners, if you're regular out there, will know that I, without doubt, would pick Nikita Mazepin. But, you know, the order was decided and I did it. Well, I was late. Um, so I thought I would get a bit creative. And um, for my worst driver of this year, I picked Lance Stroll. Now, you're probably going to be thinking, why is that? He wasn't that bad. However, I picked Lance because of the comparison between last year for him and this year for him and i think given the his successes of last year which you know which were very impressive yeah he had a really strong year so did sergio alongside him um i think we were all expecting not just from him but from the team a very strong year i mean at least a similar amount of (laughs) strong as it had been the year before um however obviously we were not quite blessed with that for Lance Stroll this year he obviously was partnered with Sebastian Vettel so it's quite hard to go straight to those comparison facts and say well he wasn't as good as his teammate because it's Sebastian Vettel um however you know they they similar cars and you know Vettel has a lot of experience but I think it's fair to say now that Stroll isn't one of the sort of babies on the grid now he has had had quite some time um so yeah I felt that you know he could have had a better year and and i'm sort of going to explain why he scored um just 34 points this year um whereas last year he scored 75 so obviously that's less than half of the points that he scored um last year and you know you can you can blame some factors on that everyone around him was actually there was a lot of strong contenders around him that maybe weren't as strong previous years and also his car wasn't as good but for me given what we expected from him it was it was disappointing um he only had two more points at the end of the year than um 
than Yuki Tsunoda, who was a rookie, you know, in a car that the previous years had been not not anywhere near the car that Lance was in. So for, for me, it was disappointing. And you, I'm sure there's some people out there that would agree. And I don't, I'm not saying categorically that Lance Stroll is the worst driver on the grid, because clearly that is not the case. But for this podcast, which is, we've got a really fun way of doing this and a really interesting way of doing it that will bring up some great discussions. I've selected Lance Stroll f- for those reasons. And I think, um, I, I mean, whether it's just a blip, I hope that in the future we see we see some improvements from him because I think he is actually very talented and he's proven to people in the past that he is not just a pay driver through his father. But, you know, this year for me hasn't been his strongest. He's had three retirements, you know, it's things like that that, yeah, he he needed to avoid to have the same sort of shining year as he has previously. How many of us thought that Lance Stroll would be beaten by... Sebastian Vettel this year I'm interested to know um, hands up me. I think that yeah I think yes. that he would have yeah yeah I'm not denying that we we thought that you know we definitely thought that Vettel would do better although you know can you can you uh, switch that around and say well actually Vettel was brand new to the car brand new to the team um, mm-hmm. so actually Lance should have had an advantage it's a tricky one because we still don't know do we whether Vettel will ever as we as I'm sure we all agree Vettel at his peak was untouchable but Vettel since then has been a mixture of almost untouchable and sometimes very sketchy mm. so it's I, I think it's a tricky one like Vettel's highs this year were very high so Stroll mm. can't necessarily have been expected to meet that but then Vettel's lows are also pretty pretty dismal so it's a tricky one to compare but um but yeah no it's an interesting one to think about and one thing I'd say as well is there's this whole argument that yes he's in a worse car this season the Aston Martin than that sort of super racing point which was essentially a pink Mercedes but when you consider that uh, Vettel got that car on the podium twice in second place once in Baku and then Hungary when he's unfortunately disqualified it did show you what the car could do and I think it's one of those as well where you consider that Stroll's always been integral to this Aston Martin Racing Point team since his father's taken it over. Surprise, surprise. And when you consider to yourself, would someone like Perez who was kicked out or Ocon or Hulkenberg, would they have done any worse if they were in his seat, in his position? I'd say no. And for that reason, I think the sort of building the team round Stroll is not really paying off. And as you say, Liv, he's no longer a sort of child on the grid. You expect him to you know, improve on uh, last season to some extent. But going from three podiums to a high of sixth place, which he only got once, mm, yeah, it's not great, is it, really? No, and I think for me, Stroll, you know, he, he falls into that, the, the category of, of one of the, the you know, less competitive and sort of worst drivers this year, just simply because he, he was in a, a relatively competitive car with a, you know, good Mercedes engine. And if you think about how far Aston Martin has fallen since last year, because they haven't done any development or perhaps, perhaps because they uh, took some great inspiration from Mercedes, didn't know how to develop it incrementally this year. For me, he just didn't really do much. And as a result, someone like Sebastian Vettel, let's not forget, still had that podium, um, in in Baku, so his teammate has made an impact, even if he didn't get that many more points. And I think for for me, Stroll, given where he is and what he could do last year and where the car is, I think he just uh, he just didn't. He was a bit of a nothingness driver actually this year. Mm. I didn't really see him uh, other than you know every so often perhaps when he was getting lapped. So yeah, good call on that one, Liv. I think there's different reasoning there why we might put him in the on the bottom. Uh, drivers this year than than some of the other uh, candidates so 
Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, but, of course, I didn't pick Lance Stroll. I went for uh, another driver, I think, which actually has some overlap there, Reed, to be honest. Um, and that's Giovinazzi. Now, if you're a long-time listener mm. to this podcast, you'll hear me defending Giovinazzi every so often. And I do, but that doesn't detract from the reality of Giovinazzi, which is that he is a, he's, he's a great guy and has, you know... His, his antics with um, Raikkonen have been great this year, but he is the worst driver in a semi-competent car, and I just was in no way impressed with him this year, given he has three years' experience. And so, again, like Lance Stroll, that puts him in a category of, well, you got a car that could deliver maybe something. Uh, there's no magic there, I don't think. So... He has uh, three points, um, so he is the last of the drivers who have got any points. He's in 18th position with only Mick Schumacher, Kibitza, and Mazepin below him. The Alfa Romeo wasn't brilliant this year, but Kimi Raikkonen managed to get 10 points, which is over three times the the points that he has. Um, and, well, if I ask you really, what what did he do? I don't think you could give me much. Um, so, uh, you know, whenever I think back to Giovinazzi this year, I think of him causing problems. For example, in Monza, coming back onto the track and hitting Charles Leclerc. Right? Uh, those were the sort of incidents and the sort of things I remember from Giovinazzi this year. As I say, his off-track stuff was brilliant and really, really funny. But on the track, I, I can't. He just didn't do anything. To be honest, he just got lapped. I'd agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I think I that think was I... definitely an option that we could mm. have picked. And like, obviously, if you're looking at the standings, he's far below my choice of Lance Stroll. So it it makes complete sense. And unfortunately for him, it you know that was probably one of the reasons that he is not returning <laughs> returning next year. But it, it's all and good having your your Italian Italian Jesus um, in your team. But if he's not quite performing the way he should be, um, especially like in comparison to his teammate. Um, although his teammate does have a lot more experience than him, uh, I, I would agree with you there, Tristan. Good, good one. Yeah, and it's one of those like being in the Ferrari Academy, being 28 years old, and being in that team now for a few years. One would think we'd have seen the best of Giovinazzi this season and seasons past, but he's almost tailed off, similar to my pick, Kimi Raikkonen. Um, it's just been a really stale season, I think, for Alfa Romeo, but I won't go on to teams yet. But, um, but yeah, Kimi Raikkonen, he's one of those drivers where we said when he went to Alfa Romeo, he'll be there for one or two seasons, and that'll be a nice one song. Good to leave on a high, still getting points, and that's what he was doing back in 2019. You know, first four races got points in every single one, then a slight gap where he's down to 17th. Up again into the points... But this season just wasn't meant to be. Yes, he got more points than he did last season in 2020. But the whole reason, I think, for having Kimi Raikkonen there was for that experience, to get the car better, to pull that car up by its bootlaces and get it kicking and screaming above the Williams. Which, when you look at the standings, that's not what happened at all. You know, they were 10 points behind them by the end of it. And it's one of those, when you're age 42, you think to yourself, you've got to be there to get those points like someone like Fernando Alonso's doing. But if you're not doing that, then... to quote himself it's a hobby and it's a great hobby to have if you're Kimi Raikkonen you get the opportunity but for Alfa Romeo as an entity they want to be competitive they don't want to be languishing down in ninth place and there's so many drivers as we see in F2 that are worthy of a Formula 1 seat and it's one of those where you want to leave on a high you don't want to you know outstay your welcome in Formula 1 but looking at this season he did because 
I think all of us at some point were expecting something from him, a bit of magic, the old Kimmy coming back and, um, you know, getting a hatful of points for them. But, you know, two eighth places isn't really that great at all. And when you consider he was qualified by his, his partner, Giovinazzi, it's just not really a great look for Raikkonen. And um, put it this way, it's very, I'm very glad he's leaving now because if he stayed on another season, that would be even worse for his look. So um, it's a sad way to see him go, but it is expected when you're that age, you're that age with such young, uh, snappy drivers around you. It just isn't going to end great. And I think I said last season as well, he disappointed and well, he's carried that on really. So hate to see it, but there we go. I, what I would say, these are all good arguments for the worst driver of 2021. However, for all of them, I could say that they each would have a conclusive... Admittedly, I will say, I did get the first pick and I've 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 made the most of it. But at the same time, the three that have been mentioned have all had results, we, standout results. Like, for example, Raikkonen, when he uh, negotiated the wet conditions while in Russia to get P8. Uh, Lance Stroll had a couple of highs, like 7th in Italy, 6th in Qatar... Even Giovinazzi, I remember he had a good qualifying in Monaco, got into Q3 a couple of times, um, got a couple of points finishes. My pick, and again, admittedly I did get the first pick, but I cannot remember a single standout result for this this driver. Um, now, with Nikita Mazepin, yeah, that's who it is, there are some caveats. First of all, he did have the worst car, by far. Uh, the Haas was a dreadful car, and they admitted from the start that they were going to basically forget development for 2021 trying to focus on the new regulations 2022 which is really interesting actually because will that new Haskar be a bullet from the start or will it be just a little bit quicker or will it still be um really uh poorly designed interesting point to look out for next year uh, or this year even um but the car was really bad and also one thing which i think has been forgotten i'm not trying to defend him here but it's something i read in in an article just before we came on is that the rookies this year had the lowest amount of testing ever provided to a rookie in Formula 1 history. Because in-season testing is a thing of the past. So the only testing opportunities you get are the odd promotional film shoot, uh, the young driver's test at the end of the season after Abu Dhabi, and pre-season testing this year was cut down to three days in total. So Mick Schumacher and Nikita Maspin both got one and a half days each to run in their new cars before then turning up on uh, Friday practice in Bahrain to go and race uh, and start the season. So there is the caveat of very much a lack of preparation, um, which has been enforced upon them, effectively, um, as part of cost-cutting measures. But at the same time, the stats are damning. He had a qualifying record 20-2 against Schumacher. The two occasions where he uh, did out-qualify Schumacher were times when Schumacher crashed and had to miss qualifying. So it probably would have been twenty-two-zero. You can probably bet on that. Uh, he beat his teammate in a race three times out of fourteen when they both finished, and one time, in fact, all three times, Schumacher had damage, so he was encouraged to let Mazepin pass. <laughs> um, it's not looking good so far. Uh, Mazepin also had an average deficit in qualifying on those occasions when they were both in qualifying. He had an average deficit of six tenths of a second. Ooh. Six tenths, <laughs> which is a lot when you're in the midfield it's an absolute chasm when you're it's the, when it's the difference between 19th and tw- when it's the difference between when it's the difference between 19th and 20th every single week and I feel so bad for laughing but it's just because I've never seen stats the like of this before I've seen drivers who've come into the sport and really struggled such as off the top of my head Karun Chandok 
Um, Esteban Gutierrez wasn't amazing. Marcus Eriksson didn't exactly set the world on fire. Mm. Narain Kartikeyan back in the day. <laughs> but these were all drivers who were steady enough. But Mazepin is just, he's hes not that, he's like, and he hasn't really shown, he's shown a bit of improvement as every driver does across their first season, inevitably. Um, but he just, he's just desperately slow and it's not helped by the fact we all know the reason why he's there. He's got a decent junior career. He came third in GP, uh, second in GP3 in his second season and he came third, uh, sorry, fifth in Formula 2 in his second season. That is respectable, but they're not exactly... Mick Schumacher, who won the GP, the F2 championship, or someone like Charles Leclerc or George Russell. Um, and the, we know the reason he's in F1 is because of his money, but he hasn't he hasn't backed it up at all with any results. It, it goes. It's I think it's summed up by the fact that it's a 20 car championship, and in the official drivers' championship standings, he came 21st, and that's because mm-hmm. Robert Kubica came in for two races, Alfa Romeo, to replace uh, Raikkonen when he had COVID. And Kubitz's highest finish was higher than was the same as Mazepin's, but on countback he came ahead. So, in a season where there's twenty drivers, Nikita Mazepin came twenty first, which is quite an achievement. Um, not a good, not a good achievement in a league of his own. Um, really. yeah, yeah, literally. Um, like so, yeah, no standout result. Doesn't compare favorably to a teammate who was also a rookie. If he if he was beating his teammate convincingly like this, you'd be thinking, okay, that's to be expected. But your teammate's also a rookie and you're you're getting thrashed to that badly. Um, it's not a good look. And again, we can say that, you know, second season maybe he'll show some improvement. You'd flip an hope so because his first season, like it couldn't it couldn't be worse, frankly, because the results didn't show it. There wasn't there was an increment of improvement and yeah, I mean, I mean, I can't. Yeah, a genuine case for the worst driver, definitely. Before I before I hand over to Liv so that she, she can be unleashed from the Mazepin <laughs> section, um, I, I want to say that. So Mazepin, I think his his whole season can actually be condensed into the um into his first ever race. If you remember that, he crashed oh, yes. out in turn three, which is yep. one of the most unique debuts um in Formula <laughs> One, and that that sort of. Yeah, I think that represents his season as a whole. Uh, it hasn't been great. He was notorious for spinning, and I'm ignoring all this off-track stuff as well. And also, and also the fact that he tried to he tried to start um, like verbal war of words with Mick Schumacher on multiple occasions, and the fact that yes, those, yes. those cars were drawn together like magnets is a, is a weird one. And Mazepin could arguably be um, seen to be the culprit in many of the clashes they had uh, but I think actually in one interview he says that he admitted in my current car the Haas car we can't fight anybody else who's not a Haas driver so therefore I'm going to fight very hard my teammate Mick Schumacher which when Haas are already down on their luck shall we say some would argue you know their luck was of their own making considering they somewhat refused to develop their own car after a few races but when your own two drivers are going at each other or one is going at the other purely because they want to fight somebody on track it only makes the situation you're in worse. And as you saw, as you were saying, um, in terms of when he was lapped, he was always being lapped by everybody, but he was the most unhelpful person when it came to being lapped. He would regularly refuse to adhere to blue flags until the last moments. You had Toto Wolf getting on the radio saying, what is he doing? You know, Christian 
of the same as well. He was notorious for being controversial on track as well as off for all the wrong reasons. It wasn't there was controversy mixed with great talent and he was, you know, riding the seat off the car, etc. He was making a bad situation even worse. And um, yeah, as you say, seven retirements. It's all it's all bad. It's all negative for him. But um, go live. Well, you know what? You'd be so surprised. I was going to start with he has <laughs> he has had a shocking car to deal with and i think that it, it's key to remember that some of the, the way they've described they they just the commentators and the drivers themselves have described trying to handle that car or even just move it around the track you know it's such a difficult car and it's it's so, it is a poor i was going to say a poor team you know i think that the, the the crew themselves are dedicated and they're they're you know they're great people but at the end of the day they're not providing neither Mick or Nikita with the car that allows them to show their potential. However, obviously, I've I would agree with you with in general of your of what you've said. It absolutely, it is awkward the fact he's twenty first when really essentially there was only twenty drivers, and though you know the results, there's there's plenty of retirements in there. There's at least five or something like that. There's some some poor you know some poor results, and also I think it comes part not just from. Um, driving driving ability but also um, driving style I think he he was reckless sometimes a bit stupid making maneuvers especially when he's being lapped that were unnecessary and for me you know show showed a bit more of that sort of aggression that we've seen you know we saw back during the lower formulas when he physically punched Callum Eilot and drove it is drove into you tried to drive into Yuki almost who was stood at the uh, in Park Fermi you know for me I would be less aggressive (laughs) in my argument or in this if it if there was pure just no intent you know like Mick I just I know that we, we we think oh Mick Mick but the boy wouldn't hurt a fly and you know he's having a tough season but he's actually achieved 19th you know not bad whatever he's had less retirements better results fine but with Nikita for me I think it's he's done not done himself any favors and I think it you know it would have been brilliant to have seen what for what he was like what he's truly like going through you know up through the formulas and into f1 if he was you know a, a, a nice slightly nicer person a less aggressive person he didn't he didn't you know do the, th- the things that he did away from the track i'd have a bit more reason to stand up for him but as you said tom it is hard to do so and i think if you take the fact that the car was a big is a big contributor to this he still would probably would be the worst performer of the year because i think he he is he is quite reckless and sometimes quite dangerous on the formula one circuit and when you're driving cars that drive as fast as they do you have to make sure the people in them can control them and and want to control them so yeah i think that we yeah we shouldn't it is partly the car's fault but also don't like him that much (laughs) but um i like there's no there's no way of there's no way of arguing really against him being worst driver when you literally it's the statistics so um yeah, good point. <laughs> good choice. And going from the driver who was statistically the worst on the grid, I'm going for a sort of a left field choice, and stats don't really back this in terms of the teams. But looking at fourth place and looking at McLaren, 
I would say they've had one of the worst seasons. And why do I say that, you ask? Because they've had a season of two halves, essentially. Ever since that great one-two at Italy, the first time since the 2010s, I believed, it's all gone horribly, horribly wrong. Started so well, you know, three um, third places for Lando Norris in the first half of the season. It was that heartbreak at Sochi after Italy, of course. But when you consider we rewind all the way back to the Paul Ricard circuit of France, and I even said on this podcast, is the fight for third place over between Ferrari and McLaren because there seemed to be such a gulf between the two constructors and McLaren seemed to have it all sewn up? The fact that they let it slip from that position, looking after, as I say, the Italian Grand Prix to a situation where the highest place was a fifth that Landon Norris got twice, you meanwhile had Daniel Ricciardo hold different conversation we'll get on to in the next episode courtesy of me uh, in a league of his own in terms of not doing very well hardly scoring points you know eighth place it's one of those where if you had a more of a focus on this if it was also up at the top you would look down at this and go how on earth have McLaren bottled this because they have they, they bottled the third place and when you consider how hard they had to fight for it last season and how easy the fight was this season and the fact they've regressed I think really there should be more of a, a, a sort of a spotlight shone on the fact that McLaren have done quite poorly and it annoys me because we all like McLaren here. We all have a, a sort of soft spot for them. But they have failed to really see through a good advantage. Getting Ricardo win, which many people saw as an advantage, a cash injection as well, was seen as a, sort of a favourable uh, circumstance to come into the season. All things were rowing in the right direction. All things were looking very positive and, you know, sunny uplands and all that sort of stuff. But um, take that win away. Take that 1-2 away. Disregard Italy completely. Let's say that's a a Belgian scenario where we didn't go racing, and you'd probably look at this uh, season for McLaren and go, not really that good. Because as I say, I think they're the better car than Ferrari. Ferrari had a very slow start to the season, and I am disappointed. I'm disappointed in McLaren. That's my my worst team, shall we say? Thank you, Tom. I think it was hard on you uh, to have to pick you know given we'd all some of us had already picked our answers but i think you argued a, a good point um thank you there and that's what the whole point of this podcast <laughs> what this episode is is we've got to argue yeah. our point it makes it far more interesting than if we all just shout whoever came bottom of the of the standings um for my team i put alfa romeo and obviously you guys have touched upon antonio giovinazzi and kimi raikkonen as solo drivers so i really i don't need to say very much <laughs> um <laughs> But pop them together, and you know it's a it's a poor year for the for the team. They they came ninth, obviously, um, in the standings, whereas previously they came eighth. Which obviously we've said it so many times in all of our in various discussions, but that is a huge difference when it comes to the funds and the prizes, or however you want to look at it. The money they get from the championship, you know, every place matters for every team. And the fact that they were beaten by Williams this year is hugely significant. And it shows why those teams fight for every place, even when they're not up at the front. Every It's so important to do the best they can. So obviously to finish ninth in the standings with a sort of iconic name of Alfa Romeo, you know, a iconic brand of, of of Italian car to you know with the engine of a Ferrari you know all these things together ninth is is really not what they would have wanted this year. Um, Antonio Giovinazzi was only in the top ten twice, I believe, and Kimi Raikkonen about four times. And you you've got to think that 
for them they would have had higher expectations coming into this year and I, I would also agree with what we both pointed out earlier which you all pointed out earlier was that it's almost I if Giovinazzi was the most the driver easiest to forget about I kind of feel like this is the team that's easiest to forget about because for me like as much as we might want to as we might want to I can't forget about Haas they're right there in your face they're driving around with a Russian flag, <laughs> you know, on their car. Um, you know, you don't forget about Williams because this has truly been quite a fantastic year for Williams. You don't forget about this team, this team, this team. But for me, if I was listing the 20 teams, that's probably the one that I'm most likely to forget and be like, oh yeah, of course, Alfa Romeo, which is a great shame. But th- there isn't really much more to say really in the fact that for me, that's the team that has let themselves down the most this year. I would say that... Um, Williams have not in any way. If you look down the bottom of that area, Haas obviously have, but we've sort of touched upon that. Um, so for me, it's yeah, it's got to be Alfa Romeo. I really hope that things change around. You know, when you, now you've got Valtteri Bottas in there, I really, you know, I'm excited to see what they're going to do. And is it has, has it been the drivers this whole time, or is it the car? And obviously, with the regulation changes, and everything, you have no idea what's going to happen. I'm excited to see Valtteri in there. I'm excited to see Guan Yu Zhou in there. Um, maybe they'll completely turn around the team, but for now, this year, they fit for me as the worst team. It's, it's interesting, isn't it, that there is a sort of divide in in those two answers just to begin with, actually, and mm. and and yeah. the difference in why they're so poor. Perhaps you could put Alfa Romeo's down to a lack of of development, and you have those teams this year where they've basically gone. Well, we were supposed to change the rules, so we haven't developed anything. So. This is a write-off this year. Let's just go have some fun. And then, Tom, um, you there saying some bad things about my favourite team, so I shan't hear any of it. Um, <laughs> but, you, I mean, you're absolutely right as well. They they did, to some extent, bottle it. And in a they had their great highs. Uh, let's see, as a McLaren fan, I'll just focus on those. But as they had their, <laughs> their serious lows. Oh, Sochi. Oh, no. Um, and so... Mm. Yeah, I think they definitely lost out a bit, and I, I put McLarens down to the fact that they had to do a lot of um, engine um, reconfiguration, but also Ferrari brought their end game, so A game, so um, and absolutely live um, Alfa Romeo. I had to, I did actually list the teams the other day because um, I was talking to a family member about who's in Formula One, and I got to nine, and I was like, who's the one that I forgot? And I had to look, I was like, oh, bloody hell, it's Alfa Romeo, of course it is, because, you know, it, you are right. For for love them or hate them, you remember Haas, um, and we're never going to forget Williams, and of course then there's the, the you know, Alpine and Aston Martin are, are, are new into the sport, so they kind of embed in that way, but Alfa Romeo, uh, absolutely nothing this year, so yeah, matches my Giovinazzi. Um But for me, I, I I got in there quick and and I went with the worst team this year has been Haas. Um, even with lovely Schumacher in it, and um, well, he can't even he can't prop up the team that much. Um, and and this won't really take much of an explanation. They were surrounded by controversies at the beginning of the year, even before. We got racing and with regards to their display of the Russian flag as their livery, it even went to um, the sporting courts, I believe, until it was sort of okayed. Um, So even before we got into the season, it was a bit like, oh, Hass, what are you doing here? Selling your soul to the devil sort of thing. Um, They also got rid of Grosjean and Magnussen 
um, for this year and decided to put two rookies in, uh, which demonstrated actually how much um, the previous drivers were sort of were putting into last year's car because last year's car and this year's car were basically the same. But last year, they actually managed to score three points and beat Williams. So you can really see that there was a lot of backward steps this year. Um, so mm. zero points this year. Uh, the, I felt like the team was always just in the way, actually. And they were always kind of running their own race that was sort of in between Formula 1 and Formula 2. Um, I'm surprised that Mazepin didn't get the 107% rule applied to him at some point in the year. Um, he definitely did in terms of his race pace. In fact, one of the commentators and comments I saw was, we might need to start implementing a 107% rule for the race because of the speed in which um, Mazepin isn't going around the track. Um, the car really wasn't very good. It was hard to drive. It was often spinning um, of its of its own accord. You know, that, let's not forget that I can't completely blame Mazepin because it was a hard car to drive. There was no development this year. Um, I look forward to hearing Gunter Steiner's um, comments to Drive to Survive when they come out uh, later on this year because it'll be really interesting to see what's going on um, behind the scenes at Haas, actually. And there are all loads of rumours as well whether or not Haas is going to actually bow out from the sport very soon. So altogether, they just, in nearly every way, were a poor team. Poor driver dynamic, poor development, poor speed. Maybe uh, maybe they're heading towards um, the precipice of, of leaving the sport. Yeah, I'd say the only way I would describe Alfa Romeo would be stale. Same drivers for the last three years. And Haas... Just very apathetic. It's almost like they accepted this season would be a write-off. Two rookies in, as you say, little uh, development in the car after the first few races. They've pretty much given up, and I agree with the comments there. I think that uh, Haas F1, the team, will soon disappear because you know Formula 1 costs a lot of money. Regardless of the budget caps, there still has to be an element of cash being put in. We know why uh, Mazepin was brought in, because, of course, his father is the owner of Russia's largest fertiliser company, and McSchumacher... Uh, the image, uh, the whole appeal around the Schumacher family, of course, carries weight, as we saw in the Drive to Survive series when they were talking about those two drivers there. So um, it's very sad to see because I thought that Haas would come in, you know, be, be a bit of a rock star team, shake things up, um, go against convention and, you know, be the underdog that gets the glory days occasionally. But they've lost that 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 bark, that bite. And they're just there in the way, as you say. I'd say that's a pretty good argument for Haas to be the worst team. Um, but I'm going to do my best to to counter it. I thought that Mick Schumacher was a bright, shining light in that team, and it showed that like there was a togetherness in that team, and that they were really like rallying around him, and they were like trying their best um, in the scenario. A uh, tough scenario they had. I'm going to argue for Aston Martin Formula One team, Aston Martin Racing Formula One team, to be the worst team for 2021. If you'd said to me 12 months ago after seeing what was Racing Point, just miss out on third in the Constructors. If you said to me, right, this season Aston Martin are going to finish closer in terms of points to Williams than they are to Alpha Tauri, and that they're going to finish closer to Haas than they are to Alpine, I'd have thought, what are you talking about? You know nothing about Formula 1. Um, 
I should have believed that person if they'd said that because that's what happened this year statistically. Um, Aston Martin were caught out, admittedly, by the regulation changes, the small ones, which were to do with rake. Uh, so they, them and Mercedes had a rake is to do with, as I get ready for a very technical definition from um, the technical person I am, uh, it's to do with the inclination of an F1 car when viewed from side on, according to autosport.com. Um, so basically, a low-rate car is a much more reduced angle, so it means it's closer to the ground. Now, the only really low-rate cars on the grid were Mercedes and the Racing Point, which happened to be, as we know, the sort of Mercedes in disguise. Um, High-rate cars is basically the rest of the grid, where the diffuser was a bit more higher off the ground um, and the yeah less close to the ground. So the regulation changes meant that teams who were low-rate design suffered, hence why we saw Mercedes go from dominant to on a par with Red Bull, and Aston Martin go from top of the midfield to bottom of the midfield. Um, that shows really Aston Martin were caught out by these regulations. They, were voted, they voted them through, they would have done, that's how regulation changes come about. Teams vote, through, vote them through unanimously. Um, they didn't think how it would catch them out. Um, they also chose to replace... Basically, they downgraded their driver lineup. They Sergio Perez, admittedly, in a Red Bull, he's a good, very solid backup, and he can flatter to, to deceive on some days, um, on the odd day. But in a midfield car, he's a monster. We saw that last year. He won a race in that racing point. He was consistently top of his game. He's a, he's a monster in a midfield car. He's, we've, he's proven it time and again. And they replaced it with... Sebastian Vettel, who is, as I said earlier, the enigma that he now is in that he can't really replicate or he can rarely replicate those world championship winning days. And he seems to replicate his spinning um, his spinning days from his last season of Ferrari in 2020. He seems to replicate that a lot as well. Um, but it was still, a, I still think it was a downgrade because Vettel's new into that team. Admittedly, yes, he gets used to it more. Um he'll therefore become more accustomed to the workings of the team and he'll be able to get more out of the car. But at the same time, they downgraded their driver lineup. They didn't react to the rule changes. They really suffered in that respect. And for me, that just shows poor decisions making. Um, and it's really backfired on them. And the fact that they kind of spent the whole year just like tottering about in seventh, um, seventh place in the constructors. They had the odd high. Ironically, Sebastian Vettel could have won a couple of races. Such were his... Um, so strong were his performances in Azerbaijan and in Hungary until he got disqualified. Um, but at the same time, they just had a, the way I described their year is meh, to be honest. It's just, and it's a fair argument for them to be the worst team, considering you had a lot of teams who performed to a very high level Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari, Alpine did a good job, Alpha Tauri got a lot of out their car, Williams did really, really well, um, Alfa Romeo and Haas. Not great, but Aston Martin just had a, a mere year. In a, t in a year when lots of teams exceeded expectations or met them, Aston Martin really like dipped compared to the year before. Um, I think it sums it up how the year before they got 195 points, I think, or 200 points across 17 races. And this year they got 77 points across 22 races. Um, a big, big drop-off. Um, so for me, Aston Martin, for dropping the ball with the rules, downgrading their driver lineup. And just having a, like I said, a meh year, for me, they're the worst team in 2021. Quite pleased, actually, that, and this is going to sound mean, but I am pleased that their their gamble to carbon copy another car didn't pay off. It shows. Do you know what? And we predicted it as well. I believe we actually said back when they were racing point, they copied Mercedes. 
they won't know how to develop it in the upcoming rule change. And guess what? We were right. So mm. there you go. Maybe they should employ us as strategies, as uh, like strategy <laughs> engineers for the Formula One design. I also, though, in their defense, I chuck him in with the rest of the people that decided not to develop anything for this year. Mercedes kind of had to develop something because they wanted Hamilton to get the eighth world title. I reckon Aston Martin's chucking all their um, eggs into the ne- into next year's basket um, because of the massive rule changes and overhauls into the car design. So you might add that to their defense there. But yeah, absolutely right. What a what a, a a miserable season if you compare it to last year. And I say that Vettel has actually been a bit of a standout driver, as you say. He had some brilliant moments, which I just wish we'd see more of. To be honest. Yeah, they were a disappointing team, I must say, uh, Aston Martin. I was expecting a lot more. We you know Vettel, you've got the Mercedes engine, you've got the springboard, you could say, in, at least in terms of cash injection from uh, last season when they finished fourth, which I don't think anyone really expected. But it's been a very drab year. And I think, I don't know, I think if you did have someone like Perez or Hulkenberg in there instead of Stroll, they would have done better. But still, you would expect them to be a lot closer than they were to Alpine, for example. I expected them to comfortably beat them. But when you consider there's such a deficit of what's that? Over, well, half the points, literally nearly 70 points away from uh, Alpha Tauri and then even then from Alpine again. You know, these are the teams you think they would be in and around at the very least, not closer to Williams than they are to, to Alpha Tauri. So. It's been a very disappointing year, one to forget. And um, yeah, you can only hope if you are an Aston Martin fan that they do, they have put a lot of money aside and development aside for next year. But um, to see the name Aston Martin be sort of draped through the mud many times is quite, I don't know, disheartening to see, I think. And so ends another episode of F1 in Review. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of another episode of F1 in Review. Listening to us talk all about the worst teams and drivers in our opinion from the season just gone by 2021. We'll be back next week looking at the biggest and the worst surprises from the season gone by. We're thinking about drivers and constructors which thought, okay, they won't do very well and then they did the opposite. So tune in next week for that one. So do give us a follow on Apple, Podfollow, whatever platform you're using to listen to this episode. Tell us what you think. Have we made some good decisions or some bad ones in terms of our selection? Until next time, thank you very much for listening.